Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Hey, Steve or Justin. My question is about Broadcom, ticker symbol AVGO. Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? Just tell me what you think. Thank you. And provides unbiased answers. Revenue growth is in the mid-teens over the last year or so. Earnings in around 30%. So strong, consistent grower. Uh, the question, though, is, is it a little rich? Invest Talk. Over 38 million downloads and counting. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking shared success and now today's podcast good afternoon fellow investors and welcome back to invest talk this is our february 16th 2022 edition of invest talk and i appreciate you all tuning in this hour and my goal as always is to hear your finance and investment questions and give you straight unbiased answers so I have no hidden agenda. I'm just not trying to push anything. I am, in fact, I will mostly, uh, I will be mostly just answering your questions, and you drive the direction of today's podcast. So for now, uh, it should be obvious that some at some point in your life you will realize that when it comes to investing for the long term, planning for the long term, you have one chance at it. And so I am here to be a tool, hopefully uh, a valuable tool but probably not the only tool, shouldn't be the only tool to help you build towards your own version of financial freedom. And CPs, then I've always told you that the market can be volatile, can be unpredictable, but you can put the odds in your favor by making smart decisions, investing with logic, not emotion. And with volatility comes opportunity. You're seeing that now. There's a lot of opportunities in both directions in the market right now. And that means you have to be prepared. You have to be knowledgeable. You have to understand the market that you're investing in. A year and a half ago, it was all about tech stocks and companies that benefited from a COVID lockdown and COVID environment. Now we're on the other side of that. And now it's about stocks for reopening and in an inflationary environment, and tangible assets over intangible assets. All of these things are important for you to understand so that you can make smart decisions with your money. So on this podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, with it, which is independent thinking and shared success. And that's my assurance that no matter what I'm speaking about, the market as a whole, a particular sector, a strategy, I'm here to give you the facts as I see them using my 20 plus years of investment experience and present it all without bias. So I encourage you to reach out with your finance and investment questions right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time. If you're listening after hours, which I know more and more every day of you are listening on the podcast, you can still leave your invest talk question on our invest talk voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hey, guys. 
This is Shane from Florida. Love what you guys do. Long listener of the show. My question is about IRAs. Just recently created one. I was wondering how I should allocate my funds. Should I use mutual funds as the base of my portfolio? Thanks, guys, for all you do. Appreciate the work. I'll be listening in for the answer. Thank you. All right. Great question. Well, this, this depends on where you're at today from a knowledge perspective and where you would like to go in the future. Mutual funds are great tools. Uh, I think they're actually underappreciated in today's market because everyone talks so much about ETFs and ETFs have their advantages, right? Intraday trading, more tax efficient, but mutual funds have been around a lot longer and there's a lot more options there, which can be good, gives you more better options uh, often, but oftentimes worse. So you have to be knowledgeable about what to avoid, like commissions, uh, loads on mutual funds, things like that. But when it comes to deciding whether you're looking at a fund like an ETF or a mutual fund or individual stocks, you have to look at a your your current knowledge base. And then what's your long term goal is do you want to do this? Or do you want to have someone else do it? Meaning you don't, you don't really want to learn the ins and outs of building a portfolio. Uh, you just want to have general idea of uh, the macro economy, etc and allocate to certain sectors of the market, areas of the uh, of the asset classes, and then mutual funds, ETFs are great for that. But if you want to be more knowledgeable about the individual companies that you own, the sectors that you own, I always say buying individual companies, you learn a lot more. And so that's the direction I would go if I was trying to get a little bit more involved. And buy companies that you understand, but make sure that they make money. Don't do it just based on a story, just based on this grandiose view of what the company will be. Invest in companies that you know and understand and that are real companies making earnings and profits today, trading at at least reasonable valuations. So that's uh, hopefully a good overview of how to think about investing in your IRA. Let's go to Anthony in Texas looking at Alibaba. Hi, how are you doing? Um, first off, love what you guys do. I'm a new listener, but getting interested as with every podcast. Uh, my question's on Alibaba, tickers, BABA. Um, I got in around 190, 180, and since then it's really tanked. I believe it's around 120 now, 125. I'm just curious your opinion on the stock, its future. I know they've had outside pressures. Should I sell, when should I sell? Should I just hang tight? And uh, what does it look like? Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Now, Alibaba, this is a name that we were short for a while. Not anymore, but uh, I'm just not a fan of of this name and the Chinese stocks. There's so much pressure, geopolitical risk there. Obviously, the, the Sino-U.S. Uh, relations. And then what's happening within China and the crackdown on big tech. And obviously, Alibaba's lumped in with that group. And it's all about the collective there. And pivoting away from laws and regulation that benefits the large corporation. And you see that with mm. the education space where they outlawed profits in the education sector because there's so many bad actors within that space just kind of bilking people for uh, their money and not giving them really what they, what they deserve. Uh, and so 
you see that with stocks like EDU, those are now 90% plus. And, and you can just see the, the shift, the winds change uh, in, in Chinese companies. And on top of that, you have regulation here in the US. And there's a push uh, in new laws that they're going to have, these Chinese companies are going to have to comply with US regulatory uh, accounting standards and audit standards. Otherwise, they're going to get delisted. And I think there's a strong possibility that Alibaba gets delisted and go look at China Mobile and how hard it's been to sell companies like that once they do get delisted. So I would just sell it and move on, learn your lesson, don't chase after um, Chinese stocks. And this is geopolitical risk. You ha always have when you're investing in foreign countries, especially in emerging markets. Well, you have regulatory risk, you have government risk, even more so than here in the US. And this is just a lesson for you. And the, the, the fact that it's just kind of trading sideways here for the past few months, makes me think it's eventually going to break lower. Now, Steve and I are grateful for your podcast support and our free downloads will continue. And I want to make you aware that two other ways to find our material and bias guidance. Invest Talk has a YouTube channel as well as an Instagram account as well. So we're building out more content on those platforms. So I encourage you to head over to YouTube and Instagram and search for Invest Talk. Remember, that's with two T's. Now, the Invest Talk phone lines are open. So give us a call now at 888 chart Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Wholesale prices increased by 1% in January, up a near record 9.7% over the past year. So we're going to touch on that story and, and what that might mean for inflation as a, a whole uh, going forward. I also want to touch on the changing landscape of our uh, global financial system and what that means for uh, any potential downside of the market. Also, the U.S. as an important swing producer in oil and gas and how that has changed over the years and uh, less power in OPEC uh, and Russia's hands, but that's also um, gyrating. Let's just say that, as you can see what's happening over there. And then lastly, offices, empty offices, what would that mean for property owners as a whole? So we're going to look at all of those stories, hopefully. But let's take a look at the market today. We had the Fed minutes come out in the afternoon, and the market was pretty happy with it. We were down for most of the day, and we rallied into the close. But it was another one of those value over growth days. Growth was down about half a percent or so on average, and value was up about half a percent on average. And that's why you kind of had a flattish day. NASDAQ was down uh, 11 tenths of 1%. S&P was up 9 tenths of 1%. So a very, very mixed day. Uh, I'm still expecting near-term upside in the market, but uh, continue rotation. 
continue rotation. You had earnings after uh, before the bell and after the bell yesterday with Roblox down 26% on those uh, on, on that announcement. You had Wix, another tech company, down 23%. Squarespace down 20 Just a, a lot of companies that, as we know, are highly have high multiples and their growth started to slow and that's what happens when growth slows you had spotify uh still losing money last quarter and revenue only grew 15 percent. they were growing their revenue uh, excuse me when i say i always get spotify and shopify mixed up that was spotify shopify earnings declined 14 percent year over year revenue was only up 41 percent. where during the pandemic it was up 100 percent year over year and once again, trading at 100 times forward-looking earnings. And those forward-looking earnings expectations are coming down as well. So I think it says more downside to go. But just another example of the high multiple tech stocks, really disappointing, coming to tough base effects. And the market realizing that that pandemic growth was not sustainable and it's going to revert to a mean. The pendulum always swings both ways. And you have to be prepared for that. You have to understand that. And you have to get not too high when uh, everything looks rosy and not too down when everything looks a little dour. So uh, that's what's in the market today. Still a lot of gyration, choppiness. I expect that for most of the first half of this year. Uh, Probably finding a bottom sometime early summer is what we're expecting right now as the Fed pivots and sees inflation come down. But those numbers aren't coming down quite yet and we're going to talk about that but let's pivot to the invest talk voice bank for a question that came in earlier you know the number it's 888 chart hi steven justin thanks for the show and all your great insights i really get a lot out of it calling about a uh, small cap value play in the automotive space called teneco t-e-n have about a half position in it and it's been falling steadily seems like a great value play but uh, I'm wondering if I should just hold it, add more to it, or get rid of it, as it seems to be in a, a very bearish trend. Like your view on that, and then just small cap value in general for the duration of the year. Interested in your insights on that as well. Thanks, and I'll listen on the podcast. All right, looking at Teneco, T-E-N is the symbol, about a $900 billion market cap. And what they do is they... They produce emission control products that meet strict air legislation quality. Yeah, see, the issue here is the worry that everyone's pivoting to electric and there's less need for uh, their parts that go into internal combustion engines, and that's the issue. Now, near term, I think their earnings are going to go up. You're going to see them make probably $2 this year, um, $4.50 next year, because as the car companies ramp up production, then you're going to, uh, you're going to, they're going to see their products back in demand. You know, they've been hurt because companies or car producers haven't been able to produce as many cars because of lack of chips. And that feeds into Teneco. So I actually like it near term. The chart's looking pretty good. Uh, it's starting to round up here. So near term, I like it. Longer term, I have some questions on it. And that's why it's trading, trading at a low multiple. We're heading into a break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call Invest Talk 888 99 Chart. 
Now, good news. We have just recorded a new Invest Talk bonus podcast. We call it the Rapid Fire Hour, and that's because we move at a faster pace. So we can fit in more questions and our unbiased answers. So the Rapid Fire Hour is now posted and ready for you at investtalk.com, Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Wholesale prices increased by 1% in January, up a near 9.7% for the year. And this was a bit of a shock. And the average estimate from analysts was about 0.5%. And year over year, it was 9.7%. So month over month, it was 1%. The estimate was 0.5%. And for the year over year number, it was 9.7%. This is producer prices. This is what's coming out of the factory. And this is the highest level going back to 2010 on the PPI. Now, the core PPI, that was up 0.9%, well above the 0.4% estimate, and up 6.9% year over year. Now, as expected, goods prices outweighed those for services. So up 1.3% for services, 0.7% for, uh, sorry, point. 1.3% for goods and 0.7% for services. And a lot of that has to do with the cost of the inputs. Energy prices up 2.5% in January and food up 1.6% for the, the month over month. And what this is showing is maybe Omicron had an impact. Remember, this is for the month of January. And supply disruptions were accelerated a bit in the month of January. And this is going to be a number that's going to be hard for the Fed to ignore. The good news is that by the time they have their next Fed meeting, they're likely to have a lot more inflation data to work with uh, for this month, February, I think will be most important, because that will be the month where there's a lot less Omicron type of uh, distortions. And so the Fed is still going to raise rates, just depends on how much. And if you look at the Empire State Manufacturing Survey, that came in yesterday, registered 3.1%. That's up from negative 0.7% or negative 0.7 in January, but the estimate was 11. So yeah, better than January, but for this month, uh, not quite as good as and everyone was expected. No new orders were very good, but unfilled orders continue to rise. And that just shows you kind of the the, the supply constraints uh, remain within the economy. And prices paid spiked 17 points. And 58.6% of companies in that survey said that higher price, they, they saw higher prices, while only 4.5% saw it decreasing, saw prices decreasing. And then if you look at the consumer expectations for future inflation, Luckily, that's come down a bit from 6 to 5.8 on the one-year outlook. And then the, the three-year outlook it came down from 4 to 3.5%. So some interesting statistics there when it comes to inflation. Still accelerating uh, or still increasing, definitely at a slower pace. Uh, but a lot of distortions to kind of work out, especially in the goods part of the market. Now here comes another Invest Talk caller question, and this is a bit different, so let's play it now, and then I'll give you my unbiased answer. All right, guys, love the show. This is Alan from Hayward. 
when I'm researching companies on websites like Morningstar, Finviz, Yahoo Finance, Merchant Online, they all have different information for many of the company's ratios. For example, the return on assets ratio is different on all four of those websites for the same company. I tested it with multiple companies and not only were they all off, sometimes the ratios were significantly different. How do I know which website to trust? Clearly at least three of them are wrong or maybe all four. I'm using the free version of all four of these websites. Could that be the reason why they're giving me inaccurate information? Thanks again. I uh, love the show. Good question. And the, that, that's really the main issue is you're using the free version and you're not going to, uh, I think, get reliable data in that way. And what you have to understand is you're looking what they're posting is a snapshot, a one time snapshot. And the first question you have to ask, and a lot of times they don't even show you or you have to dig to find out is, are you looking at last year's return on assets, for for instance, and what you're talking about? Or is it the last 12 months? Or is it analyst estimates going forward for the next two months or not your next four quarters, excuse me? So what what that's probably why you're getting different data because one might be looking at the full year last year or another might be looking at tra the last four quarters only so you're looking at a full year but you know might be part of one year and part of another year and then others might be looking at maybe the average for an extended period of time you know what is what is that exactly so the number one thing you could do is simply go to the company's website and download their latest statement and all of their uh, yeah all, the, all their statements and should show you exactly what the, the data is. Now, I think the best free one that I would be most reliable on is uh, Morningstar. That's where I would go. Uh, I think there's a lot of great free data there. We pay for premium and they get a lot more there, but there's, there's still reliable data on, on that front. So that's why you're seeing different numbers and I would never rely on Yahoo Finance um, and you know, you, you really have to dial in the, the companies that you can trust. And uh, you want to use ones that professionals like us use, which is Morningstar. Uh, no professional ever uses Yahoo Finance, so never use that. Now, now we're heading to a break, so I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI 
promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, so get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin and Steve. This is Tommy from Kansas City. I have some friends that are big into Microsoft, and he sent me a, an article about Microsoft buying a $70 billion company that has to do with gaming and kind of perked my ears up. I was wondering what your guys' opinion on Microsoft moving forward are. The article was in reference to them getting a foothold in the metaverse and how moving forward they should be a pretty big factor in developing the metaverse. And I was wondering if you think that that's something that's worth investing in or if that's not developed enough, referring to the metaverse. Um, if that's something that we should be potentially starting to invest in, being that it's, you know, on the horizon. Thanks, and have a good day. Well, the company that you're talking about, or your friend was uh, was alluding to, was Activision Blizzard. And we'll see if that actually goes through. The regulators are not loving big tech buying big companies, and, and even though... Activision is a lot smaller than Microsoft. It's still pretty large, and their games are very important uh, in the the gaming ecosystem. Now, the metaverse. Uh, you know, you see the Roblox today. Roblox is probably the quintessential pure play metaverse company in the market today, along with uh, you know Unity, which kind of uh, produces the platform for uh, others to produce metaverse type content. I guess you could say. So there, there are some ways to play the metaverse, but so far it's not very profitable. And I think it's all a story for now. Uh, very early on, still developing it. And I think it's more of a catchphrase than re reality or virtual reality uh, today. You have Oculus. That's another, uh, I guess you could call metaverse, which I think Facebook was stupid to call it. Now they call it something meta. What is it? I forgot the name they, they switched it to. Um, 
quest meta quest meta quest that's what it is terrible name should have kept oculus but i just think it's early on uh and i would never i would not be investing in this space right now uh it's way too early uh still trying to figure out who the big players are going to be what platform it's going to be on and whether people are really going to use it are you going to really power into the metaverse every day put on a headset and be in a virtual reality i don't think that's anytime soon uh i think gaming will get more you'll, you'll get more dynamic gaming with vr uh, we have an oculus here at home and it it's great it's interesting but it's not something I would invest in. I definitely would invest in Microsoft because of it. You want to invest in Microsoft because of the business application, not because of the metaverse. Uh, let's go to Usher in Dallas looking at life insurance. Yes, hi, uh, Justin. This is Usher from Dallas, Texas. And I am in the process of planning for the inevitable. And yeah. I'm looking to buy a term life insurance. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I stumbled upon this company called Bright House Financial, which, uh, which is giving me an accelerated uh, life insurance plan without any medical examination or what have you. So my question is, um, is there any downside, uh, you know, to this where a company just gives you a, uh, an accelerated life insurance uh, policy? I'm perfectly healthy into my 30s, late 30s. And then um, second question is, should I buy, uh, buy it for myself? Should I buy for my, uh, for my spouse? Um, she's currently studying and, uh, she does not work. And then what, uh, what further research should go into buying a term life, uh, policy and, uh, and picking the right company How to ensure that, uh, you know, the company is good. Thank you. Great question. Well, you, you definitely should look at the rating of the company. Now, Bright House is owned by MetLife, very large insurer, $60 billion market cap, huge company. So I would have no issue with getting term life. And I'm glad you're talking about term life, not whole, not variable life, none of that. Term life, stick with that, very cheap. And that, that's all you really need. Now, how much coverage you get, that depends on... on I don't know. I don't know if you said you had kids or not, but how much you want to cover any kids or or your spouse? Yeah. Um, you said you have kids. I have, uh, yeah, I have a, a spouse and one kid, and I'm looking to cover about ten to twelve percent of my annual income, which is about I'm looking for about two point five million dollars in coverage over twenty years. Okay, yeah, I mean that sounds that sounds reasonable, and I think that's a good way to go. There's nothing wrong with Bright House, like I said. MetLife is fine. You have to look at their their rating. I think it's called A One Best. Steve is the 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 the, uh, the best person to talk to about this because he was in the insurance industry for a long time. But obviously, he's he's taught me a lot about it, and I understand a lot about it. But yeah, MetLife is, is perfectly fine. Two and a half million seems seems reasonable. Uh, and there's no reason not to cover both you and your wife, especially if you, you have a child and say one of you passes and they need to, you know, you need to pay for uh, replacement of their income or childcare, et cetera. Uh, you probably definitely want to uh, cover both of you. So uh, good call, good question and good luck. And if you have any other questions with it, I'd probably email Steve. He'd be a really good person to talk to about that. Will do. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Usher. 888-99 chart, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's touch on oil and 
the U.S.'s role. And last month, for the first time ever, U.S. exports of LNG, liquefied natural gas, to Europe exceeded what Russia received from, or sorry, what Europe received from Russian pipelines. And normally, Russian exports to Europe account for 30% of their gas use. And because of Russian pricing and I think playing a lot of maybe geopolitical games, they have been reducing their, their flow of gas to Europe, which has spiked European gas prices to four times their, their normal levels. And this has prompted the US, which is now the largest LNG ex, uh, exporter in the world, it prompted them to send a lot of, or prompted us to send a lot of energy or, or, or uh, natural gas to Europe. And this is important geopolitically. And I think this is a big reason why there's kind of the puffing of chests and we're feeling a little bit more emboldened right now is that, hey, if whatever Russia does, we can just send more gas over. And typically, the spare capacity in the uh, in the oil market is all of OPEC, and that's not really the case anymore. It's about three and a half million barrels coming from Saudi Arabia and the UAE. That's the spare capacity in the oil market right now. Now, here in the U.S., shale output has increased; should add about nine hundred thousand more barrel more barrels per day this year. So you're going to see that come on, but this is something that is part of a new geopolitical chess match that before we were, uh, we were a bit worried about what we did uh, globally. It's why we had our relationship with Saudi Arabia. We currently have it. And despite their issues, we still remain on good terms with them because of their importance. And they're still very important because they're so large, but when we go and negotiate things like the Iran nuclear agreement, are we're not as worried about them cutting off oil to the rest of the world because we're the swing producer in a lot of ways. And because we have such strong uh, shale production and America is now, once again, the top energy producer in the world. And so even though we put pressure on Iran for a nuclear agreement, they initially balked, but realized we didn't care if they cut off their oil. And so today's, our, our energy situation here in the US being so much lower than the rest of the world, being the swing producer, mainly for the rest of the world, that is good for our domestic manufacturing, because our energy costs are a lot lower. Think of European uh, European manufacturing and the amount of electricity that goes into that. And if the cost of that electricity goes up four times because natural gas prices go up four times or shutting down nuclear plants and shutting down coal plants, that is what you're seeing there. And that's why, uh, that's why energy prices around the world are very important to economic growth. Because if you have too much money flowing into the cost of energy, that is going to shut down global production, global economies, and uh, it's very interesting to see this shift. And it's important for everyone to understand that dynamic in today's market. Now, February is uh, about half over. 
and the new year is moving along. So it feels like feels like a fast pace. Uh, the question is, are you keeping up with this market rotation away from growth, away from intangible assets, more towards physical, real assets, real companies producing real earnings and dividends, etc.? Well, if you need help understanding your how your portfolio is positioned, whether it's positioned correctly, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial in Irvine, California, where we practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings. Just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP headquarters at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any well, I think we're heading to a quick break, but after the break, we're going to fit in another caller question at 888-99-CHART. Our InvestTalk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Hey, hello, Steve and Justin. Thank you for the show. I think it's very good. I'm a new listener. I'm always listening to the show every morning. So I'm here in Miami and I am a new investor. I'm 27 years old. And I was wondering, the service that you guys offer, uh, parlay investing, how much money do I need to have or anyone needs to have to to approach you guys and ask for help? Like, I don't think like having $100 and, and go to you guys and say, hey, I want a diversified portfolio is a good idea, if you know what I mean. So what's a good number that you guys recommend to have invested or willing to invest before go and talk to you guys? Thank you for what you guys do. Um, good job. Bye-bye. Good question. And you can find a lot more information over at our website, kppfinancial.com or investtalk.com. Either one is going to take you to the right place. And we have various strategies. We have five different strategies that we deploy for clients. But our minimum is 150000 150000 So hope that gave you uh, what you're looking for. And if you have any further questions, don't hesitate to reach out. You can always head over to uh, our website, and click on contact us and it will go straight to our email box. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, I'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. TK9Z says, eight or so months ago, you love Lumen, uh, have it in some of your portfolios. Now you say uh, you don't like it. Well, um, I know Steve said that he didn't like it, but I think he was uh, he, he didn't remember our conversation recently about it. Uh, we still like it. Uh, it's still part of our portfolios. It is at some major support levels, um, right around ten dollars. It needs to hold it. it. Needs to hold it. So haven't changed our, our position. Definitely, it, it missed earnings just a tad, but not enough to to kind of change our thesis. And it's still it's still doing uh, its business is still transitioning properly. Uh, it's really in a turnaround phase. They have a lot of fantastic assets, especially. Assets in rural communities, as more and more people move out to rural communities, working from home, they're going to need the good, strong uh, internet, and Lumen's a big part of that as well. So uh, I really like the way they positioned, and uh, we're still a fan of it. So, uh, But it needs to support, hold the support around $10 on a weekly basis. Now let's squeeze in another caller question here. Hey, Steve or Justin. My question is about Broadcom, ticker symbol AVGO. 
I entered into this company about four hundred dollars. That's my average cost is about four hundred dollars, and it's made a good rise since then. I was just wondering if should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? I'd be very surprised if you told me I should buy more, but just tell me what you think. Thank you. All right, Broadcom, one of the largest semiconductor firms in the world. They design analog and integrated circuits for telecom, industrial, automotive, and computing markets. Their revenue growth is in the mid-teens over the last year or so, earnings in around 30%. So strong, consistent grower, very, very good company with uh, consistent cash flows, consistent earnings. Uh, the question, though, is, is it, is it a little rich uh, at the current price? And if you look at uh, certain multiples, enterprise value to EBITDA, we're trading about 19 times, which historically, uh, Broadcom kind of trades closer to the mid-teens. So it's not drastically overvalued from that perspective. But our value is closer to $500 per share. Right now, it's around $600 per share. And I do think that we are going to have by year end the shift in the semiconductor cycle where uh, from structurally undersupplied to structurally oversupplied and or say, cyclically oversupplied. And this is not uncommon for this to happen within uh, the semiconductor market. It goes from swings wildly from a lot of undersupply to a lot of oversupply. Uh, because when capacity is built out, that capacity needs to be used. There's a lot of capex, a lot of money that goes into that, and that usually produces uh, more chips that are needed in the market. And I think we'll catch up by year end or into early 2023, and that's going to shift the market. So what I would say is I'd probably be trimming your position here, kind of rebalancing it back lower. Long term, I still like the company, but I do see some headwinds over the next 18 to 24 months. Now, the next and best talk, the story behind this headline. Will the supply chain recover in 2022? As a result of bottlenecks, some companies are taking full advantage of tight capacity in shipping markets. Can your investment benefit from the situation? But we're heading to our final break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's take a quick look at your financial to-do list. At the top... Make that phone call to the Invest Talk Anytime listener line. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will provide unbiased answers to your questions. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Hi, Justin, Steve. My name is Chris. I'm in Austin, Texas. Uh, thanks for everything that you do. Quick question was in regard to your thoughts on, and I do own this, the Fidelity Small Cap Index Fund the Fidelity U.S. Bond Index Fund, and the Fidelity Short-Term Bond Index Fund. Wanted to get your input on the timeliness of these funds and get your opinion. Again, thanks for everything you do. Look forward to hearing it on the show. Bye. Well, timeliness. Well, the, the one that's going to struggle the most is probably the Bond Index one. The average duration 6.5, the effective duration, excuse me, is 6.5 years. And that's why this year, let's go to performance. Let's go to performance tab here. This is going to have a tough time when interest rates are rising. And so far this year, it's down 4%. And for a bond fund that's yielding two, you're, you're, 
if you're losing four and your only income, your income is two, that's, that's going to be bad. And then you have about almost 50% of his government, which is going to yield very, very low. So that's definitely not a name uh, that I would want to be in. Now, the Fidelity Short-Term Bond Index, FNSOX, that effective duration is only 2.6. So you can see, based on the uh, performance here, let's pull that up here, that is only down 1.8. So that's a good example of short-term bonds are far less susceptible to changes in interest rates. And neither I would, I would love because uh, interest rates are, are, are rising. Um, now, small caps, I, I think, are going to be bullish near term. I think the second half of the market will be, best, uh, be better for all types of assets, including small caps. Uh, and that's when I would be more aggressive. I don't love any of these. I don't love indexing. I like to be more strategic because I understand the markets and understand how these things work. Um, but if you're simple exposure, these are fine ETFs. They're fine funds. They're, they're low expense, um, but you're not getting anything special and none of them excite me. Now let's pivot lastly to the, the commercial real estate markets. And today's urban markets are reeling. Global unoccupied offices make up 12% of the total amount of offices in the world. That's up from 8% pre-COVID, so about a 50% rise in uh, occupancy or decline in occupancy, let's say that. Uh, across London, 18% of offices are vacant. New York, 16%. San Francisco, one in five. 20% of offices are empty. Hong Kong, where the net effective uh, rental rate after you adjust for abatements, incentives, et cetera, dropped by more than 7% in 2021. And that's after falling 17% in 2020. This is something everyone needs to pay attention to. I've talked about this a bit, uh, I wanna say a month ago or so, but I wanna reiterate this because it's not just important for your commercial real estate type of investments. REITs that have exposure there, um, types of commercial mortgage-backed securities and funds that you might invest in that have uh, debt related to these type of, of commercial real estate assets, but also just general real estate around those, in those regions. This is going to continue. This is a harbinger of what's going to happen to, I think, housing prices in these major metropolitan areas. Why is that? Well, if they're not going in, if people are now working from home, they're not going in to the office. And that's what this is all about. This isn't like, oh, the, the, the jobs are going away. The jobs for the companies that occupied or had occupied these offices, they haven't gone away. They're still business is still fine. It's just their workers are working from home. Remember, about 15% of the global of the US workforce is going to be permanently remote. That's up from 5% pre-pandemic. That's 10% of the workforce. That's 20 million people. And that means 20 million people that can now move out of high-cost areas like San Francisco, New York, LA, uh, uh, etc., and move into the gateway cities a lot lower cost of living. And this is going to be a slow and steady drip. It's going to put pressure on prices of real estate in those gateway cities up and prices of real estate in those big metropolitan areas down. 
No, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. It's official. We are now closing in on 39 million downloads. Thanks to you. You can get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave a question with your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.